This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Today we're talking about public relations. In our vastly changed media landscape, where coverage of design in newspapers and shelter magazines has declined, and designers can promote their work instantly via social media, does PR still have an impact? What can it do for a designer's career, and is it worth the investment? I'm fortunate today to have three top design PR specialists with us. In Los Angeles, we have Lauren Urban, who, after working at the major New York PR firms LaForce and Stevens and Susan Magrino, moved to Los Angeles and worked in-house for Kelly Wurstler. She launched her firm, The Consultancy PR, in 2015, and now works with brands including Cherish, Decor, and Design Within Reach, and designers Courtney Bishop, Kevin Isbell, and Nicole Hollis, among others. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm also pleased to welcome Sarah Boyd. Sarah trained at LaForce and Stevens and HL Group before joining the staff at Calvin Klein to run communications for Calvin Klein Home. Two years ago, she started Sarah Boyd Company, focused on strategic PR and brand development for a roster including Beth Webb, Carrier & Company, Mark Cunningham, Progress Lighting, and Waterworks. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Michael. Finally, we have Elizabeth Blitzer. After working as a school teacher in Nashville, Elizabeth came to New York and almost by accident ended up working with design PR powerhouse Susan Bescher for 10 years. Then she founded her own firm, Blitzer & Company, in 2010, focusing on PR, marketing, and brand identity. Among her clients are the prestigious design shop Flair, I believe they were one of your first clients, mm -hmm. and designer Thomas O'Brien. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being here, Elizabeth. Thank you for having us. Okay. So I wanted the three of you to talk about PR because I... I know I've worked with all three of these wonderful women over the years, and I know how hardworking they are and how dedicated they are to, the, to their clients and how much they love design. But there's been a lot of changes, as we all know. So I wanted to get a sense, and Laura, why don't we start with you, of how you feel your role has changed in terms of presenting your client's work, because whether they're a designer or a brand, there's not as many traditional outlets as there once were. So how do you overcome that? How do you mitigate that? Or is it social media? What's the answer? What do you find yourself working on more these days, Lauren? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question and something that we're often asked by clients and prospective clients. I mean, you know, as I'm sure all, you know, all of us did, we grew up in this industry and sort of learned that print was everything, right? And digital was really nothing when we all started out. But now you know, the landscape has changed so dramatically. And, you know, we really have to educate our clients who think that there's only really two magazines that are worth anything, that there's so much more out there. So, you know, for our clients, we work a lot with digital publications. We work on a lot of social media takeovers and things like that. So, you know, there's so many different touch points to PR these days that, you know, you can't really focus on any one thing. You have to kind of focus on everything. Oh, I'm kind of focused on which of the two magazines you think are the most <laughs> me, important. Me too. I want to hear that, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, we just, you know, we're also trying to educate them that there's more than just 
the two magazines that shall remain nameless. Mm. But, you know, we also look at international publications because, you know, there's so much more reach that you can have on a global scale than just whatever's immediately in front of you. So, again, it's really about looking at every possible angle that you can on behalf of your clients. It's not enough just to be in a handful of of publications. You're not going to reach as broad an audience as if you're looking at truly everything. Right. I think you also have to be a little bit more, I mean, obviously, I think we'd all agree you have to be a lot more creative than we once were. But I think, too, you have to think about the opportunity for, if you're talking about designers, the opportunities can't just be their projects getting published in a print magazine. That, you know, there are a lot of other places, if you flip through a magazine, where a designer can be recognized, named, called out. And because there are just so, I mean, Michael, we don't have to tell you how few places there are in a magazine for a feature in the well right. in, of someone's home. So the odds were already against us when we had 30 magazines in within the space, you know. And now it's the focus is narrowed. People are so much more savvy about how to get press on their own, which is amazing. That's great. So I think you just have to be a little bit more creative both where you're reaching out, you know, as far as publications and, like Lauren was saying, digital outlets, but I think you can also be creative in what you're getting for them. Um, So many people are breaking apart projects now for really great placements, you know, whether it's like national newspapers of the caliber of like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. I mean, they're all doing articles on a regular basis. They're really covering home. And I think that's the exciting part is that there really is such an interest in the world um, in the consumer world in home that, that in some ways where a lot of doors have closed, a lot of new doors have opened. And the newspaper's reach is so huge. Yeah. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Well, you know, it was sad when the Times, New York Times dropped the home section. That was kind of, I think, the low point Mm -hmm. for design coverage. But it does seem to be coming back in T Magazine and the The Wall Street Journal Magazine, the real estate section, all are covering design in different ways. So I think these are kind of great outlets. But is it hard to convince your clients? I mean, one of the things that I would think is that there's probably now designers who think, oh, as long as I Instagram, I don't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, have you found that to be the case, Sarah? I mean, I think I'm lucky in that they can be patient. I yes. think maybe young designers don't have the patience, maybe, if some of the more experienced designers do. And they say certain projects, they really do want to see it in print. And they can wait. Mm-hmm. Right. Or go, like, um, as you mentioned, Lauren, international. And some of those international books are beautiful. And the yeah. paper quality mm-hmm. is amazing. And sometimes like, that's that's worth the wait. Otherwise, they do trust my judgment to say, okay, this is really the right time to go to the Times or off-duty. And that is so worth it, I think. Mm-hmm. So many varied people read those publications who are decision mm-hmm. makers. They have the budget to hire a designer. And I think it's really important to consider Okay, so I have dual part question. One of them is like within the digital realm, and certainly the rise of Instagram has really accelerated. But like a few years ago, it was all about blogs. Right. You know, there were whole special events for bloggers, at divine events, there was a oh, special breakfast and everything for bloggers. Now that seems to have diminished, or is that just me? Oh, yeah. Isn't that funny? There used to be like Blogger Day yes. at High Point. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> there were all those kind of things, and Kip Spade had bloggers. So that has changed. But has Instagram filled that void? Well, what do you I, think, I sort of beg to differ a little bit. Please only do. because, you know, I feel like in, for my business, I would imagine this is for all of ours, that we all work in a few categories. That is, you know, our clients are interior designers, manufacturers, so product companies, and 
for me, like I would say the third category is sort of that retail business. Mm-hmm. And so people who are not making their own products, but are selling and, you know, need to get those out into the world. And what I find is that, yes, there is a lot of um, sort of strategy involved when we're doing like social media PR per se, but there is longevity as far as how long whatever you're putting out into the world lasts online. Right. But for us, you know, when we are really doing strategy and that oftentimes from a product point of view, involves gifting products and like high negotiation in advance. Like say, if we do, if we give you this and you do X, Y, and Z, we oh. want, we would like to have, you know, two Instagram mm-hmm. posts and this blog and da da. And the truth is that we're all on a learning curve. So this is all, every time we do something, we learn something about it. And I think we all get really nervous, really, about like, are we doing the thing that we need to do? And what's interesting about social media in the last like three or four years is that now we've had a little bit of rest time to see what are the things, like we're not throwing things right. at everything. Right. And now what I notice with those in those negotiations that for us, like it's very important to have it be in a blog. I mean, some things that are like less expensive that you, mm-hmm. you might just have an Instagram campaign. But, you know, it's like that link lives. You can do a dedicated link. It can, you know, you can see where your traffic is coming from. And they stay online forever. So if you Google company, all that stuff comes up, whereas Instagram is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and Lauren, I want to ask you about this. Yeah. The influencer thing is a huge thing. You know, if you have a couple hundred Mm -hmm. thousand followers or if you have even 50,000 of the right followers, people want your attention. And I would imagine that that's even more so in Los Angeles or maybe not. I don't know. But I would imagine with so much celebrity in LA that that's a, a complex and kind of rewarding but complex way to approach things. So how do you deal with that, Lauren? Do you you encourage your clients to go after influences or, you know, your product clients? Yeah, absolutely. And we do that all the time. And especially for our product clients, um, you know, as you referenced, for us, it's really... It, it, we almost view Instagram in particular as another media vehicle, right? So, you know, we might identify a small group of influencers that we think really resonate with our brand that we're working with, and we'll identify a couple items that they can choose from, and we'll, you know, gift those items, and then we negotiate. It's, it's a contract, really. It's not left to chance as it maybe was when, you know, people were still sort of learning about this category. We identify, you know, as Elizabeth had said, how many posts, what the language is going to be, what the hashtags are going to be. If they do have a blog, if there's, you know, additional coverage on the blog, if they're photographing it, and do we have the ability to use those images for our own press outreach to kind of give it more legs? But I think especially from a brand perspective, it's a great way to showcase product in, you know, through someone else's um, sort of visual lens. And get photography. Yeah, that's a huge, really good That's a huge, like oftentimes we selected people based on how their photography looks because we need more of that. Everybody Mm -hmm. needs more of that for their own use. It's funny. I would have to say that Instagram for my experience, I mean, has been amazing. Like Carrier and Company has seen incredible growth over the last year through their license collections being shown on Instagram and then people seeing them and reposting. And it's been really great and totally organic, not gifting or Mm -hmm. anything like that. But what I saw really helped on Instagram was for events, Mm. like for Field and Supply, using somebody that had over 100,000 followers, which maybe 
in other, <laughs> you know, in like Hollywood, maybe that doesn't mean a lot. But in our world, like over 100,000 yeah. is a lot. Yeah. Right. So like in Anthony Zio posting and visiting and taking beautiful photography, I think that drives foot traffic, which is important. Okay. And the other thing, I'm, to get back to the second part of my two-part question, which God knows what I was, <laughs> the first part was even, but I wanted to ask you about regional publications, because mm -hmm. it seems to me that with the shrinking of the mainstream national shelter magazines, regional is more important. Definitely. You know, everything. I from, love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I just want to go on record. I love regional press. Yes. Okay. I was uh, going to say, you know, there's Lux, there's Cottages and Gardens, and, and Lauren, there's several oh, in yeah. um, California. Cal there are. California's beautiful books. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's, you know. Interiors in California. Uh, Dallas, Home Design. There's, you know. Paper uh, City. Paper yeah. City, all those yeah. magazines. So, but is it ever an issue for you that a client comes and says, you know, I want to be an architectural digest. I want to be an L decor. I want to be in House Beautiful. And then you say, oh, I think you'd be great if you were in Paper City because this is a Texas, mm -hmm. pro whatever. Is there? Is well, there all you have to do is forward sell? them the rejection emails from the national <laughs> <laughs> in a day. So, so you'd say, <laughs> okay, then, yes, you try. Right. Okay. I mean, I would always say, look, there is no rhyme or reason why a project is selected, right? I mean, is that right? I mean, I Are know you saying I just did my magazine <laughs> randomly? Is well, that what you're saying, I, Elizabeth? I, think, well, I would beg to differ. Well, no, what I mean is that, like, you don't know that for all you know, I remember especially, maybe less so now, I'm not sure, but, like, like House Beautiful used to have a theme, you know, mm -hmm. for each mm -hmm. magazine. So if you didn't fit, like, if your project wasn't, you know, if, let's say, it was in a specific true to one theme and it didn't make that magazine, like sometimes get cut from the possibility of any of the other ones just based on that. Or That was my understanding. So, you know. Well, I can't speak for House Beautiful. I can tell you, though, when I was at Editor of El Decor, I mean, we literally published 50 houses a year at most. And, you know, it's often a question of you can only do so many Hamptons homes. Right. You can only or do so many right. penthouse right. apartments. Right. You can only do right. so, so many, many LA California projects. Yeah. projects. So that would there was there were definitely constraints. Yeah. yeah. That, that is true. I mean, I think that's what I mean more than right. anything. Right. That like sometimes you think you have the most beautiful project you've ever seen and you've seen a ton of projects and you think this is a no brainer, this will get in mm -hmm. somewhere. And right. it doesn't. And that's always right. a weird feeling. But right. then I think you just have to be upfront. I always think it is you owe it to your client to try if they have this dream mm -hmm. of, you know, the magazine that they want. I do think you owe it to them to try because I have had people say yes to things that I couldn't believe they said yes oh, to. Oh, same. And things that said no to that I couldn't believe they right. said no to. Right. And so I sort of have that feeling that, like, we shouldn't be the the editors, no, that's you so know, true. on behalf right. of our clients. Right. Right. So I, I think there is a channel based on what the client wants. And then sometimes they just want new business. And honestly, you get more new business from regional press just right. because you're accessible. Right. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Yeah. I would believe I that. Agree and with that. I think, as we were saying, a lot of the regional magazines are quite wonderful. Lauren, what are your, some of your favorite regional magazines in um, the West Coast? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, we work with we work with them all, but I mean, I, I love what Modern Luxury is doing with their interiors book. I think that, you know, C Magazine always does a beautiful job, California Home and Design. Um, design LA actually is coming back. It used to be oh, part of the LA Times, and now it's going to be uh, with another partner that's coming back this mm. year, which I think everyone is excited about. That was a really exciting debut when that came out. Thanks for the tip. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're fortunate that there's a lot of really good publications out here. But, you know, I was actually going to mention when we were talking about the value of regional media, 
I'm actually in a situation right now with a client of mine, a designer, who recently moved to Los Angeles. And so getting into a regional book is really important for him as he is trying to grow his clientele here. But we're actually, you know, because... You know, and the rules change every day, as I'm sure Elizabeth and Sarah can attest to. But typically, regional books are not a conflict, interestingly enough, for some of the um, more national publications. So we're talking to a regional about getting his work published and then also simultaneously about the same project in a national book. Oh, that that's a big change. I have wow, to say. I'm impressed with that. Me too. Can, I, can we talk offline? Yeah. Are you a magician? I mean, I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I think that, you know, and then with that, too, you know, you have the opportunity for some digital press where some of them don't have the parameters of needing an exclusive. Right. And we're also talking even about broadcast. So being able to really, you know, use these projects and leverage them for everything that you can on all fronts, I think it is a bit of magic because, you know, it's about sort of navigating the waters. And again, they're changing on a daily basis. But, you know, ask, at least be, not being afraid to ask the question, hey, I've got this exclusive going in a, in a regional book, but that's probably not a conflict for you as a national, like it's kind of small potatoes, you know, and kind of not being afraid to have that dialogue. So again, fingers crossed now that I put it out in the world right. that that's well, actually I, able I, to happen. But um, I, I don't know. I do think that a lot of the hard and fast barriers when I was the editor, you know, was yeah. we would not have done that. But I think Instagram has mm-hmm. really broken down a lot of those barriers. Right. Because when a designer mm-hmm. posts something while, while they're installing or whatever, you know, they want to put it on their website, the internet has changed that. So I could see how that would happen now because it's very hard to say to a designer, if you're the editor of a national magazine, we want to photograph this and publish it eight months from now. But in the meantime, please don't Instagram yeah. it. Please don't right. put it on your website. Yeah, sometimes they'll do that and sometimes they won't. Or, you know, if you Instagram only yeah. do a small detail. Right. You know, my feeling used to be I'm charging $6. My readers are paying $6 for this magazine, so they need to get something new and fresh they haven't seen before. But in the days of Instagram, it's very, very different. Yeah, yeah I mean, we actually have a situation right now where we're, we're working with a national publication on a story with one of our designers' projects. And she posted the hell out of this thing on Instagram. It's on our website. And the magazine actually didn't have an issue with that per se. But now that they're going to be running it, they want it taken down and sort of archived. And then it can be put back up after the magazine comes out, which sort of was contradictory to what I always thought, which was don't even put it up in the first place until it's placed. But it's interesting that now people are okay with it as long as you're able to take it down, you know, so they have sort of that kind of clear path for when the magazine comes out. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I am the co-founder and president of Cherish. Professional designers are invited to join the Cherish trade program to access special benefits like net pricing and a special trade-only customer service hotline. New this year, we're also introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We do hope you'll join us. And in order to do so, please visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's spelled C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. And now back to the show. So I want to shift a little bit here to see how you women would approach somebody who comes to you who's a talented but young designer or somebody who's maybe not young, but they're just starting out in the field. How do you guide them? They come to you. Do you say, I love your work, you're not ready, I'll take you on, but it's going to be a year from now? You know, a listener who's listening and is thinking, you know, I've had 10 projects done, but I'm not really out in the world, I want to get my work seen. 
what would be the process that you would do with that designer? Like, let's start with you, Sarah. I would say to, um, rather than hire a PR company or individual, to invest the money in your brand identity, in your website, and beautiful photography. That would be the most important investment. And to have a stylist come and help you if you're not so good at that piece of it, it's a major investment. Yeah, but it's, it's be expensive. But so is PR. Right. And you need those assets first before you hire somebody like us, which is also an investment. So I said this, um, I think, at the School of Interior Design, and everybody was like, was surprised. But if you don't have those assets, you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. you need to make that investment first before you do that. And also your, your branding, like what is your logo? What's your color? What's your, and maybe you're just black and white and that's fine, but just make it your own. To have a consistent image. Very consistent right. and beautiful. Right, yeah. right. Because I, I can tell you it's very hard to get an editor to go to a location and process or near completion because they don't have time. Right. Yeah. We right. don't have time. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. in New York, I rarely went and saw projects. And then also I would say to try to attend and support industry events like here in New York, Kips Bay, of course, you know, go to openings at different showrooms, be present, introduce yourself, and you'll start to get to be known, I think. And then mm-hmm. at, at what point then do you think they'd be ready? They've done the photography, they've been schmoozing. I think once you with... have like, an, a, like a nice array of projects, you feel comfortable financially. Mm-hmm. I think when people... Yes, but you don't to... you charge like $100,000 a month for clients? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, it's and we don't wake rate. up before. Uh-huh. Um, but you you have to be comfortable with yourself, and you have to be able to be patient with the process. Right, right. What, what, Elizabeth, would you feel the same? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that probably, I think we all, and we have many colleagues who we are all very good friends with who, you know, are in the same sort of business, and that we're in, we've all been sort of doing it long enough to be able to look at a mm-hmm. body of work and know, I mean, you can't always know, but know how successful you can be for them in the early stages. Not to say that people are not, I mean, the, one of the great things about this, you know, the new day and age for designers is that like, you know, in a lot of ways, you can rise without us, you know? And um, I think that, you know, not to say that I think that we do, you know, offer a, something that is strategic and access and stuff like that. But, I mean, there are so many people who who have become people that we all know because we saw them on Instagram and, and right. editors saw mm-hmm. them on Instagram. And, right. and you know, there is something very special about an editor discovering a designer without us, you know? So, mm-hmm. but I think that you can look at the work that's available and you can say like, okay, I can do something for them that is going to allow me to sleep at night by taking their money. You know right. what I'm saying? It's like, right. you totally. really want to make sure that I think with a young designer. And then, you know, one of the first things that I always like to say to people when they come to me is like, what is your goal? Because it's, it, getting PR doesn't always get you more work. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, but I understand that there's great reward in being recognized for work that you do when you're in a service business and you spend your whole life catering to clients who may or may not treat you <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, the help. So I think that, you know, I understand why people have a need or want to do it, and then they they measure themselves by what other people are getting. But I do think that there is a place in to talk about, like, what are your goals? Because, you know, sometimes it's like, 
or do you want to get more business or do you want to be famous? And those two things do not always, you know, sit side by side. They don't coincide. No, they don't. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, I need to do this so I can get licensing deals. Well, licensing deals don't really make money anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's like really take a good look and not all of them, but a lot of them don't because the market is saturated, you know? To me, it seems like there's almost more design going on in L.A. than New York because, you know, there's so much more turnover of real estate and people are always buying new houses. So how do you deal with those designers out there who really want to get known and they want to be, you know, get a higher level client with bigger budgets? I I would think the competition would be quite fierce and that there's a a lot of clamoring for attention among the designers. How do you handle that? Is that or I, yeah. am I making that up? Am I totally wrong? No, I think that's right. I think that there's, you know, LA is the land of celebrities, right? And mm-hmm. I think that that, tra- you know, that sort of trickles down to even the design industry. I think everyone wants to be, you know, this quote unquote famous designer. And, you know, especially having worked with Kelly Warsler for all those years, you know, there's sort of a perception that, oh, you know, th- that sort of magic can be applied to anyone that we work with. And right. it's, I have right. to be very transparent. I want to be the that, next Kelly Warsler, in other words. I'm yes, sure you get that. There's a right? lot of that. And, you know, and I appreciate it. I think it's it's great, but there is only one. And I think it's about figuring out for those individuals what is their signature, right? And, and what makes them special. You know, in terms of how we work with designers, I mean, I think that these ladies articulated it very well in terms of, you know, when we're bringing someone on, we definitely look at the body of work. And I think also I would say, you know, chemistry, I think, plays a big role in that, too, it, it, because working with a designer versus a brand, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of personal things that you have to talk about yeah. in the sense of, you know, having to give them that rejection that you hear from a magazine or, um, you know, giving them sort of your feedback about how that and then how that's going to ultimately impact their business. So we often take on designers who are younger in their career, but we see a real path for them. And, you know, even we'll come in at the very early stages where maybe they haven't shot their projects yet and we'll come in and and offer guidance on who they should be working with for photographers or how they should be styling or do they work with a stylist or, you know, um, kind of giving them that feedback from the very, very, very early stages. You have to reshoot this project. Um, It's not mm -hmm. good. You know, whatever. Yeah. Or what what a scouting shot looks like. You know, what? how do you take it? So. Yeah, I do. Because I think sometimes when you, you know, they're left to their own devices, they'd also, they're doing it sort of in a vacuum. They don't know really what a magazine's looking to see. So I think it's also helpful for us to come in. If it's the right fit, you know, there's many factors that go into that. But I think that we can, you know, have a lot of value in those early stages too. Right. Now, we touched on this, but I want to ask you all about what else you do. I mean, people hear the words PR, they think exposure and media. But you guys, because the media has changed so much, have all expanded beyond that. So I'd love to talk to you about what else you do, A, for your for your brands, but also for your designers to get, do you get them contracts, licensing deals, even though Elizabeth says you're not going to make any money, but <laughs> well, still. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because <laughs> I think that there are plenty of people making right. lots of no, money who would well, beg to differ with me. We did, our, but, we uh, did, we did an episode of the Cherish podcast yeah. about fabric lines. Mm-hmm. And basically right. the, the agreement was, very few designers are going to get rich off of their mm-hmm. fabric lines, which I mm-hmm. I sort of knew, but it was mm-hmm. kind of interesting to hear. But, but nonetheless, it's part of brand building. And it seems to me PR, you guys now PR, are really brand builders right. and as marketers in a way too. Whether it's an individual designer or a brand, you have to really take a very holistic and larger view of things, which I would think would be more time-consuming than ever. It's mm-hmm. more time-consuming, mm-hmm. but in, in a way, I find it 
much more exciting than it, at least from my days at Calvin Klein home, honestly, being on my own and working like hand in hand, literally hand in hand with somebody like a Mark Cunningham who just launched his own brand and seeing his textile line really Beautiful. being loved by everybody. And it's going to launch um, at Legends this year at Alt for Living, which is so exciting. Right. So, Elizabeth, you work with a lot of brands yeah. as well. So how is that different? How do you, like, get brands come to you and say, we're looking for a young designer? How does um, that work? Well, I think, you know, to start a little bit, to the question that you were talking about, I think one of the things that I love so much that has happened with my business is that, knock on wood, I've had most of my clients for a very long time. And the more you're with them, the more you are involved in long-term projects, short projects, like you really get to know um, the ins and outs. And if you have, like, if in the best case scenario, they involve you in a lot of decision-making. And so Mm -hmm. I, I I, I think some of that came out of our having to change what we were able to deliver, like knowing that we needed to add more value. We couldn't just rely on print press, you know, but it's turned into something that is like my favorite part of it is, you know, I love the ideas and coming up with the ideas and then like watching them come to fruition and then watching them be fruitful for the people involved too, right. you know? And so, um, so I think that we are like as involved I would say for all of us, we're as involved as our clients will usually let us be in Mm -hmm. any given, um, you know, piece of their business. And the companies in the home space are oftentimes small enough that they want us Mm -hmm. for all of that. You know, I mean, I think, you know, one thing about the longer you're in this business for you, for all of us, is that at some point you've, you've either worked with or for or, or on behalf of almost everybody in every piece of this business. So it's like, you know, if somebody has their dream of meeting so-and-so, you know, to have, you know, a lighting collection or whatever, it is the joy of the business to be able to say, let me make an introduction, you know? So I think for the clients that I work with that are manufacturers and they're on the side of getting licensing, I love when they bring me into the conversation early enough to be able to sort of weigh in. You don't always, you know, get that opportunity. Lauren, do you find that the same similar situation for you in terms of taking your brands and your designers and sort of cross-fertilizing them? I mean, yeah. how, how does that work? Is, is it any different in L.A.? I mean, like somebody to do a rug collection for somebody or whatever? Yeah, no, I think it's the same. And I think that, you know, I like what Elizabeth had said about really being a partner and extension of the team. I think that's a philosophy that we, you know, we all probably abide by. And I find that when we work with clients that really don't let us in and they don't let us sort of give them our real feedback and, you know, let us kind of guide them, that's when we run into trouble, Mm -hmm. honestly. And not that they should listen to everything we say. Certainly, we're always open to a dialogue. But I think when they're so, like, you know, they're trying to actually dictate what we do. I feel like that's just not an effective relationship. But, you know, with regards to our designer clients in particular, again, I agree with Elizabeth. I don't want to get into the legalities per se. But, you know, for example, when we worked with Trepanish, um, you know, he we helped him broker a book deal with uh, Rizzoli, actually. And that was through a relationship that, you know, we had um, and helped it was a great kind of book. Through him. I loved it. Trip. Yeah, it helped him, linked him up with a producer for the book mm-hmm. and, you know, had the relationship with with the publisher to make that connection. And that was very rewarding because, you know, we were involved in all the shoots. We were involved in, you know, the production, the publicity, the events, the 
whole thing from, you know, start to finish. But, you know, even on a brand on the brand side of things, we do do a lot of partnerships. We did something with a luxury tile brand and they told us, oh, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. And I'm like, okay, well, everyone has an anniversary. Magazines really don't care about that stuff. So what can we do to make them care? And so we put together a whole program where we linked them up with 20 different designers. Um, I'm, in hindsight, I kind of regret it because it was a lot of work. <laughs> but, um, a lot of work. The best ideas work, are always the biggest I nightmares. Mean, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and then we, we were able to pull from our client roster, too, and, and incorporate a couple of our clients in that project and some other, you know, brands and individuals that we admired. And it ended up being an amazing thing that we did. So we love that kind of cross-promotion whenever we can. And I think that's also, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, these ladies do this too, but when curating sort of your client base, really thinking about how you can have those opportunities to work collaboratively across um, across clients. And so. I think we're so collaborative, Absolutely. all of us in this <laughs> business totally. too, that it really isn't just about like my clients and, right. you know, working with my other clients. Like that mm-hmm. really we rely on each all of each other heavily to, you know, because you never want to do something that's just in your best interest. You would never do that. If there's a better person out there than somebody that's on your list, you would always, I mean, I think we would all agree. You'd always like, you know, err on the side of like what, what is the right thing for your client. Right. Right. And you almost know from like the look of a brand or a designer and your own chemistry, what's going to work, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And also, we just rely on each other in terms of balancing calendars, and we're not going to compete with each other on certain right. nights for a book signing. Right. But to your point about anniversaries, I'll never forget Michael Boudreaux when you said to me <laughs> years ago, "Uh oh, it was related to Urban Electric," and he's like, "Oh, honey, everybody has a birthday." Yeah. <laughs> I, it's so true, though. It well, I wasn't wrong. Yeah, right. yeah, but guess what? You found the story, right. and you dug deep. You Have know? you ever had somebody tell you they're like they're turning like? 26. <laughs> <laughs> alert the media. Yeah, alert the media. Exactly. Uh, so, but I do want to get a sense of from you guys because the media landscape has changed and brands are slow to change, I think, especially the bigger they are. So is it harder now working with brands in terms of getting them placement, getting them placement that they value? Do they value mm-hmm. Instagram? Or, or do you think that now these design brands are really much hipper than they were, say, 30 years ago or whatever, when it was the world was very much more staid and traditional. I think they're very much attuned to what's going on. Okay, good. I think so. Okay. I think the hard, the placements are harder to get, obviously, which is right. what we talk about. Right. I actually think that they that doesn't seem to be an issue as much as you would think for the client. But I think what we then have to do to deliver value to our clients is a lot harder work. So I think that like probably all of our days are longer, harder. Everything that we are accomplishing for our clients takes a lot of effort and oftentimes like legwork. You know, I think that the clients understand, you know, the new landscape um, and you know, that is less of, do you agree? Oh, yeah. That's, that's I think, I think, less of the thing. I think I totally, I, I recently started working with a old client from HL Group, and it's been really awesome 10 years later to be together again. And we've all grown up. We all get it. It's not about exclusives necessarily anymore. It's about, you know, digging deeper into the story. Um, 
getting events nailed down, getting the product story out there in a very different way. Right. right. Lauren, how about in LA? Mm -hmm. Because so many of the designers, you know, because of the TV and, you know, million dollar mm -hmm. decorating and all mm -hmm. the, the uh, Bravo HGTV shows. Is there pressure? Do you get that from brands that they want to link up with only specific designers or, you know, to hitch their wagon to that star that they think or is celebrities? Yeah. The, or a celebrity. Is that is that an issue for you? I mean, I think that that's always going to be I don't necessarily even think it's just an L.A. thing. I think that there's you know going to be certain brands that always think that, you know, I'll throw the name out there like a Nate Berkus is always going to you know move the needle for right. them. And, and that may be true. But I do think right. that, you know, uh, those big names are. You know, it's it's there's they're more complex, right? There's more involved, and so you know, looking at some of these kind of quote unquote micro micro influencers in tandem can also have even more benefit in some ways. How much time should designers spend marketing themselves and doing PR? Because I think it's doing a design project is not unlike writing a novel or whatever. You write the book, it gets published, you think the job is over. And then you realize, oh, my God, I've got to get make sure the world sees it. And I think designers tend to underplay that aspect of their work of, you know, they get the project. If they're lucky enough to have enough clients that they wealthy clients that they can stand to the radar and they're happy, that's fine. And then more power to them. But, you know, if you're a young designer, you want to get known, you get the client, you get the project, you're happy with it. You finish it. The install goes great. The client's very happy. But that's not going to lead you to your next client. No. And I, you know, I used to say when I was at El Decor, I didn't understand why designers needed PR because I understood brands, but I didn't understand. I said, you know, because I would look at any project. It didn't have to come through one of you beautiful women. <laughs> um, but I, we, we did. And we seriously looked at every project that was submitted. But now I have since come to realize that reaching out to different designers, it's always the designers that have PR people that I hear back from right away. Mm -hmm. And there are some mm -hmm. designers I've never hear, heard back mm -hmm. from at all. Right. And this is trying yeah. to do yeah. something yeah. for them. But how do you think a designer day-to-day -day should think about marketing and PR? Because it is part of their jobs. It's part of everybody's job, mm -hmm. practically, these days. Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to need to show that project that they just completed and are so happy with to potential business. So that's why the photography is so so right. important. So whether or not they want to get it published in a regional right. or but national they publication, they need to have that mm -hmm. professional photography done mm -hmm. and have a beautiful portfolio of work to show because then how else right. is anyone going to hire them, right? Right. And Lauren, how about what what would your advice be to a designer? Should they get an intern? Should they hire somebody to do their social media for them? How How would you say to, you know, let's say somebody who's got a staff of three people and they're working their butt off. They've got some clients coming in. How how should they allocate the resources of time and money in terms of PR and marketing? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, you know, we were talking before about how there's all these designers that are doing huge jobs that, you know, we've never heard of. But I think conversely, there's a lot of these young designers that we see everywhere, but they have no work, you know. Um, so I do think that there's value to allocate a person on the team to, you know, document if you're at a job site or, you know, take photos of mood boards and inspiration, um, you know, all of those things to kind of help build, you know, um, more of a social media portfolio for you. We always advise our clients, and I think we spoke about this a little bit on the panel um, during Legends last year, but 
you know, just really making sure, like, if you are posting things on Instagram, tagging your local, you know, or your your vendors, you know, and showing them love in that way, mm-hmm. you know, and attending all of your regional events and even maybe having some meetings with, you know, local real estate companies to, you know, when they're selling homes to talk about, you know, hopefully getting you on the short list of designers that they recommend. There's so many things that you can be doing to market yourself um, as a small design business. And they're, they all, you know, play an equally important role. I think, PR is a piece of that. And certainly having someone advocate for you so you don't have to allocate resources to that is is huge. But, you know, there's a lot you can be doing internally as well. And I, th- I think that somebody once told me when I first started my business, whatever you do, whoever you hire, just make sure that you hire a millennial because they know how to do <laughs> things that you don't know how to do. And okay. you, you don't have the patience to learn it. And she was so right. Right. I bet computers, social media, it's like... I mean, it's not that not I don't know how to do things. I do, for right. sure. But, but it's not what you want to be doing. But it's second nature. Right. And I think that, you know, as much as millennials get bashed, they do, they do have a very strong sense of social media and um, a way of working. And it can just come so naturally It comes to naturally. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, one last question I wanted. See, if you, I'm going to ask you guys to prognosticate about the future. You know, clearly we were talking about, you know, newspapers, magazines, blogs, which have sort of faded out somewhat. Instagram, which I think is currently, and I, I think for foreseeable future, probably the most immediate and impactful way to get your work out there. Is there anything you see on the horizon that's next? Do you think TV? Do you think cable? Do you think any any form there that's going to... Video. Video. You think video is going to be video via YouTube, Elizabeth? Yeah, YouTube. I think YouTube. Okay. I was going to say something so old school. (laughs) Please do. Newsletters. I know that sounds so weird, but I think like a really beautiful, focused, well-designed newsletter, almost like- Like an email newsletter. Email or even- Printed? Even printed. I know. Paper. How radical. I don't know how you're going to get everybody's mailing address these days. I know. I know. Well, it's going to be very focused, and it's something yeah. that I always say. Like, you know, I do, you don't I think need to read, I think reach everybody. You need yeah. to reach the right people. And I think that that is probably a version of saying that creating your own content. It's right. creating your own content. Is exactly. What is the and feature. I think that if it's beautifully done, it can be so impactful and something that somebody will, will keep. What about you, Lauren? Yeah, I I actually, I don't know. I mean, I think that those are both really interesting. I think that we're seeing a lot more of this sort of like curated Instagram content. And it's just a curation of content. They're not even, some of the stuff they're selling off of there, but really it's just a curation of beautiful content that fits their brand aesthetic. And so I think that it's it's going to be interesting to see if there's more of these kind of Instagram platforms or social media platforms that actually serve almost like a media, like a, like a publication in a sense. I think the future's looking very bright, so everybody can be very hopeful. So I want to thank my wonderful guests, Sarah Boyd, Lauren Urban, and Elizabeth Blitzer. And I hope that all of you have taken some valuable lessons here about how to get your great work out into the world. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. And look for new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.